0: Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast is scheduled for one fall. Yeah, we we can do a previously on smart enough
1: you son (laughs) it's like previously on smarten up you son of
0: a (laughs) you son of a bitch hand me the diamonds (laughs) I'll Uh, I'll give you the diamonds but give me back my daughter
1: (laughs) oh I don't think she'll be joining you anytime soon (laughs) and that's WCW yeah it's just a McBain movie um <laughs> but live forever. like yeah. um, 10 times as addictive as marijuana. <laughs> uh, it only gets funnier.
0: Um,
1: yeah. Uh, should, I, should I start? Yeah, I'll just start. Yeah, with introduce
0: that. yourself. Uh, this, yeah. Is, this is a new episode, it's an entirely yeah. different
1: recording. Right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Smarten Up, an education in professional wrestling. I'm one of your hosts, Jerusalitis. I'm your other host, Stefan Claypool. And if you're just joining us, go back and watch or listen to the previous episode, because it's a two-parter. Yeah, you'll be be totally lost. And we don't, you know, spoilers, you know, we don't want you to, you know, find out what happened uh, without seeing the original stuff. It ended on a big cliffhanger.
0: Huge, uh, huge cliffhanger.
1: Previously on our program, uh, we were talking about WCW. Uh, uh, this is our first episode. It's a two-parter of season two. Um, and you know, we, uh, we realized, you know, we mostly talk about WWE, uh, just as being the most publicly known, at least contemporarily, um, programming, but WCW has this sort of massive history. So, uh, previously we had talked about that history, sort of their roots, uh, where they came from, uh, and really left off at, uh, the moment that WCW sort of uh, skyrockets into uh, sort of mainstream consciousness mm-hmm. uh, with its declaration of the Monday Night Wars. One of the elements that uh, even if you're a casual or barely know anything about wrestling, there's a fair chance you know what that is uh, just because it was such a cultural touchstone of the 90s.
0: And I, I really like the way that you you framed the wars because they, they're they're talked about, you know, it's hyperbolic because it's wrestling, <laughs> but um, there there is something at stake in the Monday Night Wars, and it's not just um, you know which company is going to win and thrive and all that. But at a fundamental level, it's what is the what is professional wrestling from this point on? Because there are now yeah. two competing visions for that in uh,
1: in an American context. In, yeah, in America, just, yes. and I know that we assume that a lot, but just to be clear, because uh, there isn't wrestling going on everywhere else. But you know, at this point. Mm -hmm. nothing's, you know, we, we haven't had global expansion yet. So this is, but yeah, this is sort of saying, how are we going to go forward? And, you know, we, one could argue this was inevitable. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you, uh, if it's been a while, if you forget one of our sort of overwhelming uh, or overarching thesis uh, for this uh, episode or these two episodes is, you know, was it inevitable that only one wrestling promotion would sort of exist at the end of all this Mm -hmm. Uh, or, could WCW and WWF had coexisted? Um, uh, could we have gotten to a place where now WWE really is the only uh, sort of major global brand, at least in the U.S. Uh, of wrestling? Um, and that's something that you know, the Monday Night Wars—that's part of those stakes—is that you know, no matter what happened, that was certainly its biggest. Uh, result was somebody had to lose uh i don't i I mean i guess that's up for debate as well but it didn't seem like you could divide an audience that likes wrestling uh Mm -hmm. and force them to choose as i said last episode Mm -hmm. um bischoff's choice to create the monday night wars was ultimately saying uh we don't want You know, you can't be a wrestling fan. You have to be a WWF fan or a WCW fan. And
0: and then, and Bischoff has been very explicit about this. His once he had defined that scope of engagement, uh, his next step in executing his plan was not saying, "Do you like WCW or WWF?" It's, "Do you like WCW or do you like NWO?" Mm -hmm. And and this was very deliberately the paradigm that he set up. Um, and I, I think now is now is the time where we have to talk about the NWO.
1: Yeah. New, new, new world. New world, new world. Uh, for life and all that. <laughs> stuff.
0: Um, talk about like, yeah,
1: the 90s. Yeah. For people our age, or if you're anything like us, you know, maybe mid to late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were in high school ever. Yeah. You probably are familiar with NW. You saw the shirts. You saw the shirts, you saw the like little wolf pack signals, mm-hmm. you saw people uh, you know, doing the four life thing. I mean, it was a massive sort of uh, you know, cultural uh moment. Um, in all of and, and in some ways it could almost be You know, especially with, you know, retrospect, you could almost look at it like a fad. Like, oh man, remember when we were all really into the NWO? Yeah, the NWA
0: Um, was the 90s equivalent of fidget spinners. A
1: little bit, a little bit. Um, You know, I would argue a bit cooler. But yeah, (laughs) Um, by the way, there's got to be an NWO themed fidget spinner out there. Um, If not, get on it. Um, But yeah, this was, um, I mean, it was fascinating.
0: To say the least, I have found of... an NWO fidget, fidget spinner. <laughs> that did not take long. It's a Wolfpack. Uh, Wolfpack NWO. Okay, we'll
1: we'll get into. We're yeah, we're yeah. getting ahead of ourselves with NWO Wolfpack. Anyway, uh, which like which might be our one time on the show where I wish we had visual aids because really uh, to understand the NWO you need a flowchart uh, <laughs> or some sort of 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 sort of Venn diagram uh, to possibly figure out the intricacies of the organizational hierarchies of WCW. Uh. Uh, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, so you, they launched the Monday night wars um, uh, again in 1995. Um, you know, like WCW is doing okay. Uh, WWF is, is kind of uh, winning if you will uh, early on, just because they had a head start, Uh, you know, RAW had already existed for for a few years at this point, so you had that sort of built in audience. Um, and the main strategy, I would say, in the first two years or year and a half of WCW is again something we've mentioned: big stars. Let's yep. get as many big names as we can. Um, a couple of them uh, are hangovers from the NWA days and the early days. Your your Ric Flair, mm-hmm. your Sting. Um, Lex Luger, um, but it was like, okay, how do we beef this up? How do we, uh, compete? And it's like, let's try to get the biggest names we can get. Let's try to get Hulk Hogan, Mm -hmm. the guy synonymous with professional wrestling in this country. Um, and yeah, and those other names and the, and the story behind Hogan is actually pretty interesting. Are you, you, do you want to, Kind of talk about that. I I don't know if that's the first place we Uh, want to start. uh, About about
0: how he came into the organization? Yeah, Yeah, because I mean, I
1: think that's really what put WCW on the map. Because again, 80s, early 90s, again, if you're not a big fan, just kind of like John Cena or The Rock today, if you don't know anything about wrestling, you know Hulk Hogan.
0: So uh, Hulk Hogan, had, he had been the, the foundation of the WWF in, in the 1980s and the foundation of the wrestling boom. And as we transitioned into the 90s, um, he, I won't say he was running out of steam, but Hulkamania as an idea was running out of steam. <laughs> um, and there was a, a desire within the WWF to not so subtly move on. From him, um, and to start creating a new generation of stars, um, and, and the the story that I had always heard was that th- this kind of rubbed Hogan the wrong way, because he, he he felt like all I have done for this company, and I'm I'm being cast aside, um, and and was for all intents and purposes gone from wrestling for a little while. He he did a few things in Japan, but he he was out of the WWF and was. Thinking more about movies and ma- making some some Hollywood classics like exactly. Mister Nanny and Santa uh, with Muscles, Suburban Commandos, yeah. Um, and Bischoff seeing Hogan as this enormous free agent, which he was. Uh, goes out and signs him to a contract in WCW, uh, one piece of which was the opportunity to take advantage of the broader Turner empire and make television right. shows. He, he starred in a show called Thunder in Paradise, exactly. which is hilarious. Yes. I, and that's, and th- yeah, I mean, that's a big point here, right?
1: Like one of the ways that they were able to draw Hogan, uh, again, this was not, I mean, it's somewhat poaching, but you're right. I mean, Hogan had left Yep. WWF by this point, WWF had moved on. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. They had invested in Bret Hart, and sort of these other stars coming up and Shawn Michaels. Yeah.
0: Um, and when Hulk and so, comes in, when Hulk comes in, he in a sense legitimizes the idea of moving to WCW. And so within the next exactly. year, Savage moves over, uh, Luger moves over, the Nasty exactly. Boys move over. I mean, right. Oh yeah. Big, big
1: purchase. Yeah. Uh, so, but no, you're. I mean, uh, But you're also right in terms of Hogan's uh, reasons for this. I I don't – it wasn't so much animosity towards WWF. I mean, maybe he felt like he wasn't the biggest star anymore and couldn't handle that. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. again, we don't want to get into gossip about Hulk Hogan's ego. Uh, That's a whole (laughs) other can of worms. Um, But, yeah, I mean, uh, some of the stories I've heard is like literally Hogan was like – shooting other stuff on the same studio lot yeah. that they were shooting wcw and bischoff was just like this young guy just put in charge it's like hey why don't you just come watch a taping yeah. and then it's like and you know as as bischoff likes to tell it he's like oh as soon as he started watching it i could see him get excited right like oh it was in his blood and he had yeah. missed out on, on wrestling and it's like okay, that's part of it. But like, I think what you said is much more accurate, right? Like, oh, there's a whole Turner organization here. Whereas the biggest, I was the biggest I could be in WWF. Mm -hmm. And I was at the top of my game. There's nowhere else to go. I tried to go to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work great, but maybe I could do wrestling, but also get this other stuff on the side while I'm there and also work a lot of a nicer schedule.
0: But that's, that's important. And we, we, Mentioned yeah. this last time, um, we think of WWE as what it is today. But at this point in time, the Turner organization—that was the big time. That was where he had room to grow. Um, and, and so he he comes in and he he joins in 1994, has a couple year run. He's champion. He's doing the red and yellow first thing. match. He yeah. beats
1: Ric Flair, and what's seen as this really big deal because these two hadn't really crossed paths. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's like, Oh, we can get all these fresh matchups. Um, yeah. And that, that's that sort of early, uh, yeah. Legitimation, mm-hmm. legitimation and boom for, for WCW in this time, uh, in 94, 95 and, you know, into the Monday night wars.
0: But, but Hulkamania is, it, it has a little revival, but it is not revitalized. And mm-hmm. before too long, Hogan is, he's appearing sporadically on television. He's, Doing other things, and it- it I mean, there's a- Yeah, sorry. There's a
1: strong argument that he was already past his prime at this point, but, like, was just a big name. So, right. Like, just grabbing him, it wasn't like they grabbed him when the iron was really hot. It had cooled significantly. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, he's still a big name. Still going to do something.
0: And um, it it looks like he's starting to fade out of the picture. And this is the point where Bischoff continues his spending spree, um, he goes out and uh. Oh, if you think about the WWF talent roster at this point, there there are, I, I would say five guys who are at the top of the heap. There's Shawn Michaels, there's Bret Hart, there's Diesel, there's Razor, and there's The Undertaker. Th- those are mm. the five guys that the promotion's actually built. One. Uh, and Bischoff goes out and he buys Hunter. Hearst, Sorry, honestly. Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> If he um, listens to this. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm sure let, he does. Let, let us know, Hunter. Um, no, Bischoff goes out and buys two of them. He, he signs yep. Razor and he signs Diesel, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, and does so explicitly with the idea of WWF can't pay you what I'm going to pay you because I have these deep Turner pockets. So you're going to come down here, you're going to work half the dates, exactly. and you're going to make three or four times as much money as you've been yeah, making.
1: Yeah, so the money and, again, the schedule is important here. And this gets us back to another question you had at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, this is, is WCW part of its failure because it was a, a television show about wrestling, that had wrestling, mm-hmm. not a wrestling promotion that was on television? Um, you know, one of the big things for these big stars who are also getting older was you didn't have to tour as much. They mostly stuck around the Southeast. Most of their stuff was in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it was not a grueling cross-country schedule that WWF had, still it has to has. this day. Um, and, and that was huge for people uh, like Razor or Mo, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Again, for Hogan, uh, a lighter schedule meant he could do other things, right? He yeah. could try to appear on television shows and movies. Um, so that's a huge part of it too. Um, and again, something that gets interesting once we get into the meat of those Monday night wars, when it's about taping versus live and do you have other shows going on? What about house shows? Are you sort of, uh, building this brand or are you building this show? Um, but yeah, the, the scheduling is, is really important there as minor as it seems.
0: And I think what, what you start seeing there, if we go back to the point that you made about, WCW is forcing you to choose. They end up in a situation where they have the WCW brand and the WCW stable of stars, and they also have an enormous chunk of performers that are deeply identified with WWF. Mm-hmm. And so we are in a situation where if one wanted to, if one were loyal to WWF in the 80s, you could be asked to choose between those two without ever leaving WCW. And that mm-hmm. becomes the the crux of the Outsiders storyline, mm-hmm. where Scott Hall appears on WCW programming. And I, I strongly encourage everyone listening to go and watch this clip, because it, it still, to this day, is unbelievably well done. Um. Mm-hmm. There, there oh, is absolutely. there is a match in the ring between, I don't even know who the match was. It was two guys who don't yeah, matter.
1: It, it was definitely a low card. Yeah, yeah.
0: and, and you, you kind of see behind in the crowd, you see some movement that you're not even really paying attention to. And suddenly this guy just jumps the railing and he gets into the ring and it's Scott Hall. And he's in character as Razor Ramon. He's he's talking in his his Tony Montana voice. And what what really sells it is the announcers, the wrestlers in the ring. Like everyone just stops and looks at him, like like they're utterly shocked he's there. And it's not like wrestling selling. Ah, oh, what's <laughs> he doing here? You better yeah. get him. It, it's genuine confusion. Yeah, and he steps up. Takes the microphone in his hand, and the, the line that I'll always remember is, "You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here." Yeah, and, pers- and that's ah, oh. yeah, and that's
1: classic television, yeah. right? Again, back to like it's like tune in next week, yeah. <laughs> for more. I mean, you're right. Like again, for all the crap that we will surely give at, at the NWO and WCW, it's it's amazing, yeah. and and that's where it's it's not. It's almost, you know, a huge part of that is the knowledge of Scott Hall and the knowledge of that. Oh, my gosh, this is someone who was a big name in the other promotion, the other place, which is how they always referred to it in the early outsider days. Right. Um, There was always these sort of winking acknowledgments. But it was more exactly how it was presented in. It wasn't it was it was restrained. Which is not a word you often associate with the WCW and the NWO, Um, but it it was though. It it was and it was so restrained. Yeah, in that they didn't. It wasn't this whole like, yes, you had the announcers going like, "What was that? That was crazy." But then they kind of moved on, and like, it wasn't this like, 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 yeah, Yeah. like just sort of. It wasn't uh, Michael Cole saying, "Oh my, uh, it's business has just picked up." Uh, Yeah, and. And that's something that uh, Bischoff was, I I mean, I say Bischoff and I do think he was a big part of that Mm -hmm. uh, decision of how that was presented. Um, And that was awesome. And there are other moments like that that are very awesome, Uh, but they couldn't keep it going. But in that moment, like there's a damn good reason you suddenly have a damn good reason to watch WCW, not just to see Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, but to just, what the hell is going on? So, Like, there were people who maybe were like, wait, is WWF invading, right? Like, that was part of the initial mystery, was like, oh, wait a minute, maybe these two promotions that I like are feuding, and, like, maybe they're going to have matches against each other. Uh, You know, it took a while for them to be like, no, we're no longer associated with them. But they played into that mystery. That, it was, it was a, some of the earliest form of the sort of peeking behind the curtain and we're actually going to make the backstage, the front stage, we're going to play with your knowledge and your assumptions about how the wrestling industry works. Um, but it was just a peak. Uh, but then later, uh, it was
0: more than a peak
1: (laughs) would become a full fledged up its own ass, uh, into, like, backstage, front stage It politics.
0: went from a peak to a colonoscopy.
1: Exactly. Um, exactly. But and for, for there's the, our title. For, yeah. <laughs>
0: for, 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 yeah. For the time. Uh, okay. um, so, Hall shows up. A couple weeks later, Nash shows up. And for right. weeks, they're just guys who show up. They yeah, have matches. They do nothing. They, they, like, sit in the crowd. They beat up announcers. And ultimately, yeah. a, a match is formed for Bash at the Beach. And it's... uh Nash, Hall, and a third man that they keep alluding to uh, versus Sting, Lex Luger, and and Randy Savage, two of the three of which are WCW guys, and Savage, at this point, had been with the promotion for a couple years. Um, mm-hmm. It, I don't know really how to talk about this because <laughs> I, I feel like it, what happened at Bash in the Beach is a moment of wrestling history that has been told so many times. And fr- frankly, I think was a turning point for a lot of the ways that wrestling is presented. Um, it- it's, you can't watch it now and be shocked because it seems so choreographed as it happens. But in the moment, I can only imagine that it was genuinely shocking. Mm.
1: It was it was a bash at the beach head, really. It was a <laughs> turning point. Yeah, I mean, I mean this is a, there's so much, you know required viewing for this, and this is certainly one of them. Um, I think part of it is, again, trying to put yourself in this time frame where it was really unclear what was going on. Uh, all you knew is there was these two guys, they've been showing up and they've been alluding to their existence and their careers at this other place, mm-hmm. WWF, but never by name. And, um, and so it could have been so many different things. Yeah, It could have been, this is going to be a third person from WWF who's going to be coming over. Maybe they got Shawn Michaels yeah. or I don't know, right. you know, like it could be right. They, there are countless things where this could go. Um, and, for it for it to go the way it did again, in in retrospect, it can seem very choreographed. But like, there was also the sense that Hogan would never be a villain. Yeah. Um. Because he was as sort of uh you know classic all American hero, literally eat your my vitamins, say your prayers as you could be. Um, paired with the fact that he was also past his prime, yeah. so it wasn't even just like. Um, Oh, this Hogan heel turn is like such a big deal because he was this big hero. It was also because he wasn't that big of a deal in a weird way. Yeah. Um. Like. Uh. But yeah, you know, you've got the 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 famous moment of him marching down.
0: Here comes uh, old washed up rare. good guy Hulk Hogan.
1: Right, with with his you know hot dog skin and his yellow hair, um, doing the wild pointing
0: yep.
1: and uh, and and you know and and. Con- and the and the turn goes off, and then really one of the greatest audience reactions. Oh my god! Ever with uh, and to quote uh, I knew you were gonna do this. I recorded. <laughs> yep, uh, I mentioned a long, long time ago on this show. Uh, let all the trash rain down from
0: way up in the rafters. way up in the
1: rafters. Uh, it's it's an iconic moment, and it's an iconic visual uh, because the sense was this wasn't Hulk Hogan turning this was turning on what wrestling used to be. Yeah. It, this is turning on 10 years ago when wrestling was, you know, you know, very straightforward. Mm-hmm. And again, this is the sort of like peaking that doesn't end up sustaining itself uh, because you can have that knowledge and have that fun with that. But then what happens when you're so into uh, doing things that are rebellious that suddenly the rebellious becomes the norm.
0: And that, that's really uh, it. But,
1: but... And it's hard to notice that at the beginning because it was rebellious because any of the actions that the NWO would do from then on would never get that type of crowd response no. because you like them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's WCW never figuring out how to make them People that you didn't like, but also liked and never, never figuring out how to, to, to make that work.
0: So he, here's, here's the, uh, potential, and I, there are so many ways this could have gone, but he, here's one potential, uh, alternate history of this. So Hogan comes in, he's the, the he's the third man, says Bobby Heenan, yeah. Um, and... You have this formation of... And it's right there in the name. New World Order. Like, this is objectively forward-looking. Um, and to, to your point, every, it's Hulk Hogan becoming a bad guy. But very quickly, everyone starts cheering. Because the NWO is cool. Um, and, and WCW is left in a position where the guys that are framed as their villains are cool. How do you lean into that? Yeah. Like, how, well, and,
1: yeah. And also, I mean, there's so much at play here. I mean, part of it's generational, right? Yeah. Like, it's not the NWO didn't get cool because Hulk Hogan was in them. No. Okay. That is, if anything, they were cool in spite of his. Uh, I mean, yeah. he gave them, in a sense, a bit of legitimation in terms of like, oh, this is a big deal. This isn't just like two guys that are like and, and to you know, to
0: his credit to his credit like he didn't half ass the turn like he was oh, all no. in
1: on it. Yes. He he was I'm going to be a villain. Yeah. To you know that'll change moving later. Yeah. But for the time um, being there's the there's the generational factor there, right? Again, we had talked about that WCW Sort of bread and butter was this sort of more classic, you know, callbacks to the NWA and and this a particular type of wrestling that wasn't as showy. Um, and you know, Hogan comes from a particular era, but you know, Hall and Nash are are younger. Mm-hmm. They're hipper. The people they were going to ch- be more towards a young audience mm-hmm. and. That's what happens with the NWO is that they get really cool to a particular audience. Mm -hmm. And that audience is, and we're getting back to ratings here, the most valuable audience to a television audience, young men, white men, 18 to 30. Right. Not the old, like the Hogan fans have were grown out of them. I mean, yes, there are going to be the youngest kids who liked Hogan who are now Mm -hmm. in high school Uh, seeing him turn, but then he's with these other, he's being rebellious and that's the nineties. You're rebellious. You're a teenager. That's not just the nineties. Right. So yeah, like anti-authority is, is cool. And obviously that's happening over in WWF uh, after the fact uh, or after this a little bit later with the rise of stone cold and the villain of McMahon. But you know, there's a reason that those things coexist or, you know, exist simultaneously. Uh, but one of the issues with WCW is like, they never were like, they were still supposed to be the villains. Yeah. And-, and it's such, and they, or, you know, Bischoff tried to do that sort of like, Oh, we're trying to get beyond good guys and bad guys, which is like, you know, I, I think that's possible in wrestling, but like very few people have found that nuanced touch to do it. Yeah. Uh,
0: I think that, so, to to kind of go into the way that this proceeds, the... the...
1: Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about how cool they freaking were, right? I mean, like,
0: black and white, you know, there's
1: no colors, you know, they're disrespected, they're, like, spray-painting the belt when they get it, right? Like, they're, they're, they're attacking people, they do sort of these traditional heel tactics, but then just, like, the presentation was different.
0: It, and it, it was cool. And I think where, where yeah. it started to, where it became a challenge was, okay, if we set up the NWO as explicitly this group that is here to take over, and this is the way wrestling is going to be going
1: forward. right?
0: Um, the next logical step is to expand. So you go from this core faction to this ever expanding collection where i don't know what percentage of the wcw roster was in the nwo at one point but it it, it was enormous and that's fine i mean storytelling structure becomes difficult but you can do it but then there there came a point where in this again what this was bischoff's plan he wanted to basically spin the nwo off and say, oh, yeah. we're, we're going to have NWO shows. We're going to have NWO pay-per-views, so on and so forth. So, And that was the point where the NWO had to stop being this group of rebellious outsiders of this gang and be able to carry on its own show. But how do you do yeah. that? How do you do that if and you're I... the rebellious outsider?
1: Well, I mean, and that happens even early. I mean, I mean, it takes a while, but like... I mean, I think the NWO really failed actually pretty early. Yeah. And that's when Bischoff revealed he was a member of the NWO. Yep. Um, So Bischoff was an on-air character, much in the same way that Vince McMahon was, uh, sort of this, you know, similar to McMahon as well, sort of like former announcer, but then we know that he's, you know, in charge. And like, you know, so doing that behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. uh, but in front of the camera, on-air character sort of thing. Um, And to me... I mean there are plenty of moments uh, before then, but that happens within months of I think by the, the by NWO. the end by the
0: end of 96 right. I think
1: right like as soon as the lead, the head of WCW on camera mm-hmm. and behind the scenes and people know that joins the NWO you're like well what are you rebelling against yeah. right like like and then you get this like convoluted mess of like Oh, well, like WCW corporate is like a separate thing. And that was always there. And that was super edgy early on. Mm -hmm. But like the facade started falling apart. I mean, I was just uh, looking up, you know, during the that turn of of Hogan, um, you know, he would mention Ted Turner. Yeah. And he would mention his reasons for going there. Those things that we've already mentioned in the last episode, he said. uh, And I love this because and here's the quote. I want to I want to read this because it reminds me of a certain uh, political figure of today. Um, And then Billionaire Ted Amigo, he wanted to talk turkey with Hulk Hogan. Well, Billionaire Ted promised me movies, brother. Billionaire Ted promised me millions of dollars. <clears throat> billionaire Ted promised me world caliber matches. And as far as Billionaire Ted goes, Eric Bischoff and the whole WCW goes, I'm bored, brother. And uh, presumably, sorry, the
0: political no. figure that you're talking about is uh, Ohio Senator Rob Portman.
1: Of course, yeah. of course. I just moved to Ohio. I'm <laughs> fitting in. Um, but uh, yeah, Billionaire Ted. Um, and I mean, there's. Again, that's building on this interesting backstage front stage thing. Um, the again, the knowledge of Ted Turner not just being uh, the sort of owner, but also a public figure, uh, a mm-hmm. famous celebrity at the time, uh, one of the most famous you know rich people in the '90s. Uh, so, but that could maybe work because you know that what's interesting about that turn is that they wrote in a reason for it. Yeah, right. As flimsy as it might have been, there is a reason for it. Hulk Hogan you know, list these gripes. They are good heel gripes, right? Mm -hmm. They're very personal and it's about money. Uh, and he's, you know, turning his back on his values. Um, but that doesn't continue forward. No later people join the NWO that for no reason, because it's cool. And, and the meaning of it all just sort of gets lost. Um, and you can't rebel when you're getting your own pay-per-views or, uh, you have your own referee um, or Eric Bishop is a part of your, your organization. Um, and I mean, and I think some of that was also just them pushing the envelope in really interesting ways, uh, but ways that, that didn't pan out. Like they were like, let's see how far we could do this. And they went way over the cliff and they didn't back up. They just kept driving. Well,
0: that, that's, that's <laughs> the issue right there. It, it's okay. So you, you started this thing, um, but, wrestling, generally speaking, wrestling is is story-oriented. And with the NWO, you have started a story. Where does the story end? And I honestly believe that up until its final dissolution, WCW never figured out how to end that story. Even after the NWO itself was gone, we were getting replays of that story mm-hmm. with different factions with different names and it was always about we're going to divide wcw in two um and that's going to be be who we are going forward um and what just stuns me to this day is the number of moments when the story could have ended and could have ended naturally and organically And it yeah. just kept going. And the 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 big one was you know staying at Starcade in 1997. But even I mean, I mean they
1: built that match for a year. <laughs> it's it's, it's uh. the
0: it's the greatest build to a match in wrestling history, and they fucking blew it. Um, yeah. And I mean the entire uh, the entire build around Goldberg and what he was and what yeah. he could be that could have been the end of it, and it wasn't. And it just kept going on. But and I I don't. I honestly don't know why. I don't know if it was some of the performers backstage didn't want to let go of it or if they were just selling uh, too many t-shirts. I, yeah, I think
1: I think that last part is you're getting... I mean, I go back to what I said when I said, you know, Bischoff, you know, was like you're going to be a WWF fan or a WCW fan. Um, you know, he wasn't selling a wrestling show. He wasn't selling performers or stories. He was selling a brand and he was selling. And so NWO was profitable. And if you look at it like a a corporation like Turner Broadcasting and you say, Hey, we're making a lot of money on NWO. Let's keep doing NWO stuff. And that is not a good creative decision. Mm -hmm. It's a business decision. And I'm probably oversimplifying that because I think there is a way that maybe you could have creatively... Mm -hmm. Still allowed that to be profitable, but the part, but the fact that it became so over enveloping, like some of it's simple, like you know, leave them wanting more. Like if if NWO is popular, if all you're giving me is NWO, you're gonna you're gonna dilute its potency. I don't... right? You're gonna if it's in every. Uh, literally, there were episodes of Nitro where it seemed like there were maybe two segments that didn't have anything to do with the NWO there were like every storyline or so many storylines were tied up into it and it's just going to be diluted. Like if that's all I'm seeing, uh, your audience is probably going to get sick of it. I mean, you know, maybe, uh, again, these are just theories, but uh, I think that's
0: part of it. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do the comparison to the WBF too heavily. Um, Mm -hmm. But but I do think it's worth um, contrasting what, wcw did with the nwo versus what wwf did with the generation x just for a moment and, and mm-hmm. i think it's the two groups get linked to one another a lot and some of that's because of the click connection some of it's because there's sort of a, a similar jumping off point in attitude anyway um mm-hmm. but the 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 key to why dx remained successful, I would argue, and why the NWO ultimately collapsed on itself was was twofold. One, DX never got too big. It was at its peak, five people. Um, and, and two, DX ended itself arguably at the peak of its respective runs. It ended in 1999 uh, when it was at its height. And then... There were reunions teased yeah. and a, a temporary reunion in two thousand, but it it was never allowed to overstay its welcome in that same mm-hmm. way. And I just I, I think what what would what could the NWO have been if it had just stayed a little smaller or if it had yeah. ended organically? But to, to your point, the incentives within that structure weren't set up to allow it to do that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, a bit more of the industrial or economic reasons, but I mean, creatively, the result was, even if it wasn't NWO, you know, WCW became sort of obsessed with like factions, like nobody... Almost nobody exi- even when NWO wasn't at its peak and like everyone was in it, like everyone was in a faction. Like for a while, you had the Four Horsemen, which was way more than four people, uh, and you had um, the cruiserweights had various factions. Yeah. Uh, uh, the I for- I'm forgetting the name, but uh, like you had a faction with you know uh, like Conan was leading a faction before he went to the NWO. So like like they were so into faction, yes. Yeah. And factions are great. Like we've talked about them a bit on the show before. We talked tag teams and stables, but like you need variety, but it literally got to a point where nobody existed on their own. So, and that makes it hard to tell stories. Yeah. And this gets us back to your storytelling point, because it's hard to have a, like these two people are feuding over something, whether a personal grievance and, or a sort of championship, uh, And it's always going to be bigger with a faction, but like it's untenable. And, and I think they sort of, it wasn't even just falling in love with the NWO specifically. It was just the idea of factions. And so everyone's sort of on a team and this kind of gets, again, back to my point of like, choose a side. And now WCW wanted you to choose a side within the WCW ecosystem. So you could be NWO Hollywood or NWO Wolfpack um, or, uh, all the thousands of other uh, NWO versions, um, and 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 but then even before then, it like for a while it was like okay, NWO versus WCW, but like, and that's the other thing with DX and the comparison. They had feuds with stables that existed, like they weren't feuding with, you know, WWE. Yeah, they were
0: feuding with the Nation of Domination, really?
1: right? So like, you could have stories there that have matches that have endings. You can't end a feud with the company entirely like you know even austin as his like sort of rebel character was it was about mcmahon like he could take down mcmahon and that's fine and then you know mcmahon just goes off a tv for a little bit right or one of his stooges is in charge and then he has another thing but you couldn't do that with with how they set that up and so maybe it was either they went too far in or they didn't go in enough. Like maybe you should have just killed WCW. Um, Honestly,
0: that might've been the way to do it.
1: But like the issue there is like the only issue with that is, and that's getting to the other side of the creative that we haven't really talked about. And that's that the matches sucked because it was, it was was busy city and, the, the this this, this time, time period, period when NWO was at its synonymous is synonymous with, with false finishes and, and nothing it was nothing clean, clean. And, and, dirty dirty and, and dirty reps and, and no, 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 no. no comebacks come in some in ways. it's like, like, they're like doing nothing stuck and why why do you want to watch something that so. that just of constantly denies you what you what are kind of kind of wanting? Sense sense sense. Sort of, sort of, sort of, it's Lydia Lake, like you know, you know, on a long those things, They right? seem really yeah. intense, and then they, they come back to together, um, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So you, 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 did, you did
0: that. I, I feel like, um, we we could, we could spend much longer yeah. talking about the NWO, and and there's still a lot of meat to get into there, but I, I think for the sake of kind of focusing on wcw we we should jump a little bit um and the the point that i think we should jump to is so the nwo forms in 1996 there is a two-year period where wcw is on top of the ratings game which as as we established in the last episode ratings are the means by Mm -hmm. which bischoff decided the war was going to be to be fought Mm -hmm. um Get through nineteen ninety eight. WWF is is gaining momentum. I, I don't think we need to go into the Attitude Era because it's been done. No, to death. no. But, but bottom line is by the end of nineteen ninety eight and into nineteen ninety nine, um, WWE is or WWF is has started to take back the crown, but it's still competitive. Um, Bischoff, based on I think a downturn in the business, based on some of his own personal involvement in. Uh, in WCW um, based on some increasing challenges in how to work within what was now truly a a public corporate infrastructure because at this point Turner had been absorbed by Time Warner Uh, Bischoff is ultimately dismissed from his position in WCW in 1999 Um, and his replacement is the then head writer of the WWF uh, Vince Russo And I think this is, I don't like to talk about Vince Russo much, period, Mm -hmm. but I think we need to talk about Vince Russo here. Because if we, we, again, coming from the hypothesis that uh, WCW was a wrestling TV show and not a wrestling Mm -hmm. promotion, I think that is how Russo viewed the product as well. Almost to the point where it ceased to be a wrestling TV show and just became a TV show.
1: Oh yeah. I actually want to make a, a sort of point on that that I didn't think of when you first raised that thesis is like, um, and, and I, I I I didn't remember this, but when I went back and watched some Nitros on the WWE network, they listed the writers. And they wow. had it. Just go watch any episode of Nitro. They have credits like any other television show. Oh, my God. And that sounds crazy. And, and so you're right in that, like, in your assertion there, uh, but also in the sense of, uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, Russo is <laughs> synonymous with, you know, again, the the colonoscopy of, of sort of, backstage or meta narrative where the storyline was about running a show Mm -hmm. rather than like let's all just like suspend our disbelief that this is a sort of wrestling promotion like he vince russo became an on-air character who was vince russo writer of like writer yeah like, he discussed on the air about, like, choosing who would win matches and shit. Like, and in some ways, it's like, there's your death now, WCW. Yep. You broke the cardinal rule. Yep. Like, you can wink, you can sort of nudge, and we can all, like, you know, peek and let people sort of, you know, acknowledge this thing, but come on. And, like, they had already gone over that before. Uh, with him in charge, with Russo there, but uh, just sort of just drove off the cliff and into a ca- canyon. So uh, Chris Canyon. Uh, sorry, <laughs> who
0: better? Sorry,
1: than- <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to. If we're talking WCW, um, but yeah. Uh, oh, it's yeah. I mean, this is synonymous with just being god awful. I mean, I, there's arguments that like it was dead at this point anyway. I don't um, think it was though.
0: and and that that's I, the I, thing. I
1: agree. I agree. Yes, I agree. Because there there was some interesting... It was basically a rebranding. Yeah,
0: and, and um, I think that the two literally,
1: things... Literally, yeah. they changed their logos and like a really sweet uh, setup, uh, some of which we saw in Ready to Rumble, mm-hmm. which is, I think, part of this rebranding. Uh, it was... Yeah, there were attempts. It I, was just that Russo was the worst person uh, to attempt to rebrand it. I think but yeah, there, I don't think were... it was going to die, yeah.
0: necessarily. There, there were two pieces, I think... Of, about the vince russo kind of this first stage where he comes on that i think are are interesting one is to to your point the the authority figure is on air talking about deciding who wins matches now wwe had had great success with vince mcmahon as the on-air authority figure uh but there was you know it was a wink it was not Vince saying, I'm deciding who's winning and losing matches. It was Vince almost threatening, like, I will make you lose this match by, right. you know, force by my corporate power. Um, well, and, and, you, and you
1: represent that corporate power through characters and yeah. through storylines. Right? Like, I'm going to put you in a match that is unfair. Yeah. Or I'm going to have Big Boss Man run in and hit you with a nightstick. Yeah, stick, this right? match
0: is was- unwinnable.
1: Right, and those become representations yeah. of you know corporate decision making going on, and that's what the fans love, as we talked about mm-hmm. a bunch. That audiences like to play with what's real and what's not, and what's behind the ce- what's an what's an industry decision or a mm-hmm. creative decision. Um, but you represent that; you don't yeah. just say it, <laughs> like you don't just come out and say it.
0: Yeah, and, and then so. the, the second piece was. Um... To your point, there, there is a rebranding that is happening, and th- this, still to this day, I, I can't think of another thing in wrestling history that, that was really comparable. I remember watching the episode of Nitro where Nitro was rebooted, mm-hmm. where Vince Russo came to the ring and stripped every one of their championships,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and, and Bischoff was out there too because this was like during that, that weird four-month period where the two of them were trying to coexist. Hmm. Um, but, but it it was, it was like a crisis on infinite earths moment. It it, it was okay. Uh, clearly this isn't working. We're going to start over and it's going to be a hard reboot. All storylines are reset. All factions are reset. This is, this is the new landscape. And there's, there's part of me that actually finds that kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, but like
1: really unheard of in wrestling. Yeah. because we talked about this like lineage and history and all this stuff is like really important and like things change but like you know kind of incrementally or yeah like yeah no it's a crazy idea Yeah, uh, again a tv idea of like we're just gonna spin off almost
0: exactly and, and you know if you Contrast so WWF had a point where they fundamentally changed their presentation, right? But the story right. content, and that—that's the thing. Wrestling is a continuous story, and when WWE changed its presentation and became kind of the the attitude uh, presentation, that right. which was also,
1: you, Vince McMahon had an announcement about that, right? Yeah. Like again, that part is not crazy. Uh, to be like we're going to do a different you know you know that was just branding and yeah. that was just sort of like you know speaking to your audience but uh it wasn't yeah it, it was like uh yeah because there there was a there was that moment of Ben saying like oh the days of you know saying your prayers and eating your vitamins are over yeah. right and like um you can do those sort of things of sort of making these announcements but uh yeah very again yeah a very bizarre way to do that. But I yeah, I agree. I think there was potential there. Like they still mm-hmm. had talent. Still did. Um like the big names weren't as, you know, you you weren't holding on to them anymore, mm-hmm. but like you still had these like fantastic uh people there, you know, sort of uh, obviously DDP mm-hmm. being a big part of that homegrown talent uh that yeah.
0: yeah. and You you had this though is the period where the the talent drain really starts to happen, you know, with within a few months of Russo taking over, you know, Jericho is gone. Uh, I think before Russo comes in, uh, the radicals go quickly. Raven leaves to go back to ECW. Um, and you, you, gradually start to see the pillars of the promotion go away. And who, who ultimately is left? Well, you've got DDP and he's doing fine. Uh, the, the great, un, I think, unsung success of the last year of WCW is that was when Booker T became Mm -hmm. the star that Booker T was supposed to be Mm -hmm. Uh, and I remember being very very happy when that happened um Mm -hmm. but you you had talent going out the door you had no functional organization in WCW you had fans tuning out you had revenue drying up you had a noticeable decline in production quality. You had nonsensical wrestling booking. You had... Um, it, it was... I think the shocking... Th- it, it's the, the overdone Hemingway quote. It's like, you go bankrupt slowly, and then you go bankrupt really quickly. And mm-hmm. in March 2000... If you'd have told me that WCW wouldn't exist in 10 years, I would have believed it. But if you told me that they wouldn't exist in a year, I'd have said you're crazy. And a year later, they were dead.
1: Yeah. No, that the ending is... I mean, and people were shocked. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes lost in... Again, the sort of told stories of like, yeah, WCW just like it was it was died inevitable. This yeah. Slow death and like Vince McMahon, you know, coming in and buying the sort of library and the name uh, was almost like a mercy killing. Yeah, like that's literally kind of the story that they that they tell. Um, you know, and oh, thank goodness he did because then we could have the wonderful invasion storyline. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it was it was, it was not something that people had even considered and they were like, why would you do that? Uh, Like there's an audience here. I mean, the ratings weren't terrible. I think they were
0: still better than like what WWE draws today.
1: Oh, absolutely. They were definitely better than what was happening. I mean, obviously the television landscape just changed. Yeah. Yeah. uh, You know, significantly, but still like it was popular. I don't, I don't think it was, like, dead on arrival. But this gets us back to they had, you know, Bischoff had laid the terms. Yeah. And, you know, if anything, maybe a reboot should have been getting the hell off a of Monday night. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it's not even a creative decision. Like, why are you still fighting this losing battle? Um, and I don't know. I, it might have – maybe they suggested that. And maybe Turner, you know, not the person, but the company was like, no. Nope. So that like we maybe they had lost their sort of uh good favor. So, uh, so that that
0: is that idea. is the last kind of the last piece of external context here. Um WCW in two thousand lost sixty million dollars. Uh it's a lot of money. Um it's you know, for the Time Warner conglomerate, a drop in the bucket, but it's still a lot of money. Um In 2000, Time Warner merges with AOL. Ted Turner loses his organizational influence inside the company. And AOL Time Warner begins to look at what it has. And this, to me, is is where my brain started when I was thinking about WCW as a wrestling television program instead of a wrestling promotion. Um, AOL Time Warner looks at what they have. They have this WCW division that is producing five hours of television every week or whatever it is, losing an enormous amount of money, organizational instability, um, and eating a time slot. I don't think WCW as a company went out of business. It didn't go bankrupt or anything like that in the way that you know ECW, for instance, did. Um, WCW got canceled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is just fa- a fascinating yeah. note for that company to end on. It's
1: and I mean, its demise was because they didn't have a network to be on. Yeah. Which is a canceled show. Like, you know, shows have revivals now, or like mm-hmm. they'll end up on Netflix or something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like Arrested Development or something. Um, obviously, you didn't have that back then. And this gets us back. You know, it... Existed because it was on Turner. It never had to sell itself to someone else. Yeah. Um, in the way, and that gets again to some of those business savvy things that the people in that organization were built on working within that organization, whereas Vince McMahon had always had to convince whomever, whatever network, that they were worth, you know, investing in and worth airing. And at this point they had already moved from USA to TNN, I think i mm-hmm. already at this point. Or it, might have been later, it was right It was
0: right around there anyway.
1: It was around here. But like what I'm saying is, you know, again, like it, not necessarily creatively, but, you know, being able to make some of those business decisions and, and knowing those relationships. And, you know, there were attempts by Bischoff and others to like, let's get, you know, WCW is still viable if we can just get on another Sort of network or another channel, but uh, I, th- I think you know so at that point, yeah, they dug their own grave. So
0: so much of that is wrapped up in what the media landscape was at that moment. I mean, if if this story were were replaying today, and WCW lost its television slot, um, and I, I remember the you know Eric Bischoff at the time was trying to purchase WCW, and it was when the the slot disappeared and the programming was canceled that he backed out and said WCW is worthless without its television slot. Mm-hmm. Um, if that happened today, where could WCW go? There are so many alternative outlets for it, and maybe it wouldn't have the same scale or the same infrastructure, but there are other ways to distribute. Well, I mean, and here's the crazy
1: fact. I think it wasn't that long ago, uh, TNA or Impact now, or Anthem or whatever. I think it's whatever,
0: GFW now. I don't know it's
1: existed longer than <laughs> WCW ever did. Yeah. Like it has a longer and no one freaking watches that it's on pop or it was, I don't know where it is now. Cause there's, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a different media landscape. I mean, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Like there's, there's so much crap and there's so many places to put it. Um, and that's not always a bad thing. I said crap and maybe, and I say that disparagingly cause I think that's a poorly run promotion. Yeah. Um, But you can also have great stuff and you can have different levels and offer different things. And, um, you know, going head to head, I guess with WWF wasn't even just about that. It also, it almost kind of, you know, they like to argue that it pushed them creatively sort of outward. And in some senses it did, but I, I think you could almost argue it constrained them and they ended up being very similar. And at least in terms of some of the, you know, ways that you say, how might we present this um, that is, you know, but, you know, coexisting with something else. Um, Again, the simple fact of being on a different night and time slot, damn it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, yeah, like you've got people who like wrestling and they would gladly watch multiple programmings. And that's one of the reasons why it's kind of growing again right now is that you have these different levels and, um, and it's also the economics of it. Like it makes the, no one can challenge WWF at their own game, but you can challenge them, not really challenge them, but coexist with them in terms of like, Hey, it's expensive to go to a live WWE show. You can get to a local show. Not that bad. Um, It's a lot cheaper. Uh, You know, it's always, I'm always, I always love when WWE Wrestlemania weekend they have all the smaller shows and all these independent promotions will go to whatever city they're in and put on their own shows and it's not like competing and it's you know part of it is like the smaller fish you Mm -hmm. know getting the scraps from the bigger fish but it works and and in some ways WWE has changed and become more open to that Mm -hmm. in their partnerships with you know R08 Ring of Honor, and Progress Wrestling in the UK, and that's the smartest thing they've done. And now yeah. I'm I'm getting away from WCW, but just to mean you know I think even WWE realized it's not good for them to be the only game in town, and it took them a long time to figure that
0: out. So that, that uh, is, that's the they point. They were really we, happy. Yeah, yeah. That that's the point that I want to drill on because when we think about you know WCW's legacy extended really far beyond the life of WCW, and I think one way that it really did was. WWE's expectations and sense of self were defined by the Monday Night Wars for a decade after they were over. And I, I think you could argue that it's still felt in a lot of different ways, but one of the things that you've seen over the last few years that makes me think we're starting to get beyond that a little bit is the way that it it approaches other promotions, is the way that it approaches global distribution. Uh, and is is the way that it characterizes its own business. And I think that the network becomes really important in that because even up until the network launched, and you still hear about this today, uh, everyone still is concerned about the ratings on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. still the metric by which success is measured.
1: Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, I mean, they're... I, yes. And, again, we're getting a little far from here, but I think this is the legacy of, you know, WCW's demise. Yeah. And so it's worth talking about. And that's, um, yeah, WWE, like one of the legacies is them figuring out what to do. Yeah. And it took them, I would argue at least 10 years, yeah. maybe more, Sounds right. which is kind of amazing, uh, to figure out what do we do in a world where we won? Yeah. It's almost like, one of those cool uh, novels where it's like, we're going to start the story at the end. Yeah. We're like, we, you know, after the final battle, what happened? And that's why that's such an interesting time to me because for you, for a fleeting moment, it's like sort of joy because you have like 2001 and 2002 when WWE is freaking amazing yeah. because they have this talent influx and they're doing just like really amazing stuff. Um, maybe even into 2003 or so, but then like a pretty sharp decline for at least 10 years. Yeah. And that only really started coming back when I think they start realizing like, and part of it was like, we need to grow and there's only so much you can grow by being a wrestling promotion. And they always wanted to be an entertainment company. Mm-hmm. And so they tried producing movies and that's <laughs> kind of stupid. Uh, and, you know, and it's like, Dude, just be wrestling. You already, you won. The, that, what that means is you are now synonymous with wrestling. But yeah. that doesn't mean no other wrestling exists. Well, and, and, and I think in, that's in what that, took them forever to realize.
0: In the way that, you know, the NFL uh, mm. it is not the only football league, uh, but it, it's the one that matters in the U.S. and, and for that particular form of the sport globally. Um, but they're not making fucking movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tom Brady is not playing that. the Marine.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it's funny you bring up NFL, right? Because that was XFL. <laughs> like that was oh like WWE's like. What do we do quickly. now? Right. We've conquered the XFL right after that. that's are around the same time. I mean, they it, it was like, yeah, like
0: 2000, 2001. 2001. Right yeah.
1: yeah. But it's like. Yeah, it's, it's like NFL getting into the wrestling game, right? It's like the reverse. Um, and yeah, part of that is just like, what happens when you're the only game in town? Yeah. And, that's, and that's what I think makes WWE really interesting. Um, it's why you shouldn't just talk about WWE, but you kind of always have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you don't want them to be the people who tell all the stories, both about wrestling or what wrestling can be or should be or might be. Uh, and you don't, you know in in, other, in other, i guess they they end up being a bit of an ambassador yeah. uh of a sense to most of the mainstream uh though i think there are now other outlets i mean uh and i hope there are like even by you know having glow on netflix maybe people yeah. realize you know even though you know the only issue there is like oh like the time period they're looking at is also like prime what everyone thinks of when they think of wrestling like the Glam '80s madness. Yeah, there's there's not a gl- than-
0: there's not a glow for the Indies in 2016,
1: right? But there could be, there could and be. of course there could be. But like, and I think people are interested, and I think you know, I think there could be some interest there. And I I've had friends like you know watch Glow, and then they watch Lucha Underground on Netflix, and we're mm-hmm. like, huh? And it's like, oh wait, it's not just whatever WWE is is sort of doing. That said, they're always going to sort of you know, be the standard bearer, but they're, they're the ones who envelop you. If it's popular, WWE will buy it. Yeah. And, or they will incorporate it in some way. And, and I think the industry is just going to come kind of coming to accept that. It's like, it's not about challenging them. It's about coexisting with them. You know, Indies can sort of get former WWE people to help, you know, bring people to their shows. They also become a farm sort of system for, uh, WWE, uh, WWE basically now has, uh, yeah, informal sort of minor leagues Mm -hmm. almost, uh, in terms of their relationships with a lot of these. And so it's a bizarre new world. Uh, and maybe we wouldn't have gotten it if we never got a situation where WWE won and became the only place for wrestling in the country.
0: So, so let's, let's take it back to the initial question then. Um, did it have to be that way? Was there a world in which there could have been two relatively large-scale American wrestling promotions into perpetuity in the way that you know there, there is in Japan, for instance? Okay. Um, yeah. Or was this a, a winner-take-all market where there was going to be, in the way that there is in other major American sports, there was going to be one player and everyone else yeah. was going to be picking up scraps?
1: Huh. And I would say, sub-question, mm-hmm. uh, if, you know, if it was a situation, if, if we are to entertain the belief that there could have been a coexisting, would that have been better or worse yeah. uh, for the industry? Because the common sort of refrain, and I think the gut response is like, oh, it'd be so much better. Like, you wouldn't have had this drop-off in sort of popularity. And again, but I think that's sort of building off the WWE narrative, right? Of, like, competition was making everything awesome, and people were just pushing themselves to do better. And I'm not entirely sure about that. Mm -hmm. Um, In some ways, by winning, I think... So, okay, first, to answer the primary question, I think they could have coexisted. I I think... mm, I think, again, back to if they weren't in direct, literally time slot competition, uh, I think you could have had two, uh, you know, moderately successful promotions. Mm -hmm. I do think neither could have, I don't think that neither could have grown too much. Um, And so maybe I do think it would have still eventually, one of them would have faltered, but maybe not in such a spectacular way. And perhaps not in a way that set the winner up for such a huge boop. Uh, you know, partly because, you know, like, I don't know if they would have ever gotten to a place where they truly tried to distinguish themselves Hmm. from each other. And I think that that's my concern. And that gets back to the sort of creative thing that I push back on. I'm like, I think you wouldn't have had this, like, let's distinguish ourselves. Where I think what's great about wrestling now is that different wrestling promotions distinguish themselves in very specific ways and in very interesting ways, unless you're TNA and you're terrible.
0: Well, um, that's an interesting way to sorry. distinguish yourself.
1: True. I mean, again, that may be a whole other podcast, but it's like, ooh, six-sided ring. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I think they could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one of them would have, instead of, instead of competing at the same level one of them would have won but not as decisively yeah. and one of them would have kind of become more of a sub promotion where maybe they have you know a smaller television deal or maybe are just touring like I think that is more likely what would have happened I, Um, and in some ways maybe wouldn't have been as good in terms of like allowing you know WWE to become the sort of super powerhouse that it, it could be uh, yeah
0: I I think I agree. Um I think that there was a period in which coexistence was possible. Honestly, I think from the point Nitro was launched, the die was cast. Like that that was the point mm-hmm. where like uh, there there was going Absolutely. to be a winner out of this. Um but and I I don't think they could coexist equally. I do think one of them would have been kind of more of a dominant player. The other one could, could have been healthy, but, but would have clearly been the alternative. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think in terms of would that have been better? It's a, it's an interesting question. And there are two things that I I think about here. One, one is, uh, economies of scale. And the second is labor dynamics. So to, Mm -hmm. to take labor dynamics first from a, a worker's perspective, a, a wrestler's perspective, um, there are advantages to having more than one company you can work for and more than one company that you aspire to work for. and oh, yeah, we we are in a situation now where I think it is it is more possible for a a wrestler to be kind of a super indie wrestler and really oh, b- yeah. build a good living for themselves that way. But there was a long period of time where oh, it yeah. wasn't.
1: It's surpr I mean, it's it's it is still kind of surprising to me that yeah, you have people who never appear in WWE who make a living. Yeah. Just making a living. And that's like even just that level, yeah. not even being famous, but making a living, was yeah, unheard of for a long
0: time. But at the same time, you know, if 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 you do make it to those who do make it to WWE um are are probably doing much better for themselves now than they would have, um, you know, in in the uh, more split world. So that, I, I don't think there's a, a clear picture there, but there are arguments one way or the other. Hmm. But the other thing that I keep thinking about is, is the economies of scale involved, and specifically scale when it comes to distribution. Um, I, I think that, and this is the, the thing that's most interesting to me about the network and the strategy behind that, having the history of American wrestling under one roof, yes. that entire tape library, that entire, you know, every major promotions tape library, um, in that one portal, I think is tremendously valuable for the future of the media. Um, it, you do run into those those issues where it's the the victor writes history and and you get the WWE version of events and all of that, uh, but I I don't think if WCW survives that you can have that unified history where and it's not just WWE tells you what it was like here, but you can go back and watch old episodes of Nitro. You can go back and watch old episodes of the AWA, of WCCW. And that's why I think it's important when, when WWEF acquired WCW, they didn't buy the promotion outright. Oh, uh, no, yeah. Uh, because that, that would have been crazy. Uh, the, what yeah. they bought were some wrestlers' contracts, the trademarks, and the tape library.
1: Yeah. They bought, yeah, they bought, yeah. And, and so they wanted, That's that yeah. was what, what was valuable. Yeah. The name... And the history,
0: and by, not what
1: it was. <laughs>
0: and if, if you can buy that, then that sets you up to buy ECW and AWA and WCCW and, and Mid-South and, and down the line. Um, And I, I don't think that we would have seen that kind of media consolidation without, you know, if there were those two major players. And maybe the alternative is that you've got several different, you know, streaming services or several, several different ways to get it. But... Having it all together, and this goes back to the point that I made way at the beginning of this conversation, Um, the arc of wrestling in the 20th century, in a lot of ways, was wild chaos, loose confederation, intense competition, and consolidation. And with that consolidation having happened, that entire history and that entire story is available and consistently told and able to be seen and understood under one roof. And there are, there are advantages to that that I think are really interesting. So I don't know if it would have been better.
1: Uh, That's a really excellent. uh, You may have done the impossible uh, Mr. Claypool and convinced (laughs) me that uh, media consolidation is a positive thing. Uh, (laughs) And and I'm serious. Like I, I have a lot of issues with media consolidation for a lot of reasons. Uh, and I'm speaking broadly here, yeah, yeah. Um, But you raise a really interesting point, and I think a really valid point uh, that you know that history is there, and I've made it clear on this episode and before that I have issues with the way that you know uh, when one person sort of controls all the the documents. Absolutely. Like, what does that do for us in terms of what we understand about it? But like you say, on the other hand there's value in that. And then they have found, and they have the resources and they have the drive uh, to make those things available. It took them a while to do it. Yeah. Um, and you know, we are sort of at their whims if they'll take it away from us. Um, hopefully they won't um, in terms of this sort of tape library. And obviously they're still, you know, they cold things back because they, yep. if they just give it us all, then they know it's not worth it. Right. It's like Disney and it's vault. Uh, uh, you know, you want to piece those things out. Um, but I think that's a really good point because in the history of film, in the history of, uh, so many other media, like there are things that get lost to time all the time. And there has been wrestling that has been lost to time. There's been plenty, but yeah, like it's, it's hard to get an independent uh, nonprofit sort of archive. Yeah, there, of these there, there's there's and not
0: like the, the the Library of Congress is not like yeah. selecting I mean, particular matches some, for cultural right. significance. There's some
1: very old
0: stuff like on
1: if you go to like Internet Archive, right, yeah. and stuff like that. But you're right. I mean, this is, and so yes, I, I just as I've, I've wanted to make sure my concerns were clear.
0: Absolutely. And, um, and I, and I want to say, think I think you're they're, right,
1: you're right to
0: the they're totally valid concerns. And I, I'm not convinced this is an objective good. I'm not convinced that it's right. a good in every context. But yeah. I think that, and that this is maybe me speaking as a fan as much as anything like, like this. I like that the wrestling world is at my fingertips right now. Mm-hmm. And from that historical aspect I'm not sure it would be if hmm. if we were in that that different world because I mean to your point like there's there's not an independent archive preserving wrestling and I no. I don't think there would be. Yeah.
1: And independent promotions, you know, have only have so much, you know, uh, capacity and, and and money and resources to do that. So um, yeah, I mean, and I think that speaks to a part a point i was trying to make of yeah just wwe's post wcw sort of journey to finding itself if i can put it in completely ridiculous ways yeah. of being like oh wait a minute we don't just make we're not just the people who make wwe programming and try to get people to watch those things even though that's still their primary business model it's sort of being like wait a minute maybe we can become the ambassadors the home of wrestling and people have talked about this with the network is that the future can we watch independent stuff what if that becomes the way that I can watch yeah. progress wrestling because I'm not in the UK uh, why not uh, what does WWE have to lose and I and I think they may do that I'm more hopeful than I would have been uh, not that long ago especially when the network first launched yeah. <laughs> uh, but like I think they're moving towards there. And I hope they are in a sense, even though that sort of things are under one roof. If instead of buying another promotion, you just say, Hey, you know, pay us or, you know, we'll make some sort of deal where you can be on our show. Mm -hmm. We can put you on, but you maybe give us some sort of profit sharing or whatever there are. Yeah. I think that could be helpful. And I think you're right. That we might, we needed a sort of big winner and, and someone to sort of consolidate that, To to make that
0: happen i I think i think that that might be that might be the perfect capper in the sense that you you (laughs) introduce you introduce this question about um is it better not not even just is it better but when wcw launched nitro and engaged in that fight the the we shifted from being a wrestling fan to being a wwf or wcw fan and now, having gone through all this and gone really? through this process of consolidation, and and now starting to see the the diversity in the rest of the wrestling world, now we might actually be getting back to the point where you can just be a wrestling fan again.
1: Yeah, yeah, and maybe, and if maybe WWE will be like we can be the place for that. Yeah, where you can watch us, you can have our network because you like other things. And I think the only thing that's like slowing them is maybe just hubris oh, yeah. uh, and just sort right. And, in like,
0: WWE, I, no. Yeah.
1: But they're a business, and they need to grow. And I think that'll eventually win out. And I hope so. So uh, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's 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 somewhere where we can hopefully you know keep keep going, keep moving forward. So uh, so WCW, uh, we hope you haven't died in vain. Yes, I think it's what we were trying to say. It was a sacrifice, perhaps, for the greater <laughs> good of wrestling. Pie. Uh, maybe that's the the most positive thing we could end on yep. talking about WCW's end.
0: All right, I think we will um, ring the bell in our WCW yeah. conversation, and I sure. uh, I guess we can move into our uh, any recommendations. Any.
1: Yeah. Well, first, uh an obscure, did I did I don't think I mentioned him. There's so much we didn't get to talk about yeah. in terms of WCW's programming and all that. Uh one of their rebrand fun rebrand attempts was uh Wildcat Willie, the WCW mascot. <laughs> uh uh I who was just like this big big cat thing. Uh uh <laughs> So, uh, yeah, the Nitro Girls we never got to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously an interesting part of the show that it wasn't about wrestling. Like, we're just going to have these ladies come out and dance. We talked about them in Ready to Rumble. So hopefully you're listening to that episode and familiar with them. But that that was a key part of the WCW brand during those uh, heyday years as well. Um, I, I do have some, I have, I have some homework. Uh, I have so many... Uh, things, but uh, just uh, one thing that I've I've come to love over the summer break uh, that we had uh, is a is a YouTube series called Nobody's Watching Wrestling. Oh. Uh, again, that's Nobody's Watching Wrestling. Uh, it is a YouTube show where drag queens review WWE <laughs> uh, pay per view. Just they just do the pay per views, um, and uh, two drag queens, Lady Berica Andrews and Ariel Italic. Uh, as well as DJ Accident Report, uh, who is not a drag queen, uh, but he will airhorn his way in. He's kind of the most knowledgeable, uh, and I love this show. They've only had I think four or five episodes, maybe. Um, they started maybe after WrestleMania. It might have been a little bit after that, um, but it's really funny. Uh, it, they're I think they're very charming, uh, and they do a really good job of sort of reviewing through the guise of drag culture and being drag queen so they talk a lot about the outfits and the sort of uh spectacle it, you know there's a lot of parallels uh between the world of drag right. performance yeah, yeah. and, and at wwe in terms of, sort of spectacle playing a character but sort of inhabiting the character so it's, it's a lot of fun uh if you even if you're not a huge fan of wrestling uh but you're sort of maybe you're interested in maybe you watched Drew Paul's Drag Race or something. Like, it's a really, it's a really funny, funny sort of review of wrestling, but they do it clearly has. as sort of, sort of fans. Yeah, like, like they're knowledgeable of it, and, and even they're when sort they're, they're sort of making fun, fun, fun of it, it. Uh, uh, there's, there's they there's have sort of genuine arguments and opinions also sort of critiquing ridiculous fascist choices or just like physical gestures that make. Like, just as an example, they have in so he
0: always, he always wears skin. Skin. <laughs> Like, 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 like <laughs> you're not shy, and then, and then yeah,
1: you're just, you're just show short, up, show up, you It's like, it's like a great. I love, I love it. You know, constantly, constantly
0: talking, talking, about, talking the about the hair
1: extension, extension on, the on the lady, lady wrestling. Yeah, so a,
0: yeah, lot lot of a lot of fun. Nobody's watching wrestling. It's, it's, it's worth your time. Nice, like short little ten-minute
1: episodes after every paper. A lot of fun.
0: That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um. My homework. Well, first, I think I, we should issue just a, a general blanket homework. Um, but if, if you haven't watched Glow over the summer, you, you should oh, yeah. watch Glow. Um, Glow. Glow is fantastic. It's relatively short, um, and it's. Um, I wouldn't say it's a like deep examination of wrestling or anything like that, but it is deeper than you might have imagined at yeah. first glance.
1: Um, yep, yeah. it did. It, it definitely did its homework. Like yes. it's not. It's goal isn't to try to like teach you about wrestling, but you might just learn a thing or two hey. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the,
0: the thing I want to recommend, and again, we're, we're talking about WCW, and there is a lot... Um, there's a lot that we didn't get a chance to cover. I'm going to recommend watching the final episode of Monday Nitro, mm-hmm. uh, which you can find on the WWE Network, If only because it's one of the strangest two hours of television I've ever seen in my life. Um, WWE purchased WCW, I think, it was less than a week before this aired. And everyone knew it was going to be the final show. Um, And no one knew if they were going to have jobs the next day. And it's this weird, like, outdoor show on a beach. Oh, yeah. Um, and throughout the night on commentary in the ring, um, there is this strange feeling of finality, which when you think about wrestling is really unusual because yeah. wrestling's story never ends. It's always the next chapter. Mm-hmm. And there's this mm-hmm. weird feeling of of things are wrapping up and the, the, <laughs> the piece about it that always stuck with me, um, weird as it is, is because we talked about all the challenges with the NWO and WCW, never knowing when to end anything and all that. Um, every match of the night, with the exception of the main event, uh, is for a championship. And the babyfaces win every match. Huh. And there's just something kind of beautiful about that. And then the final match is, is Ric Flair and Sting having their last match against each other. And both of them, I don't want to say they're going through the motions, um, but it's like, it's two guys who have done this a lot of times before. And huh. they're, not, they're not trying to wow the audience or anything like that. It, it's almost like they're, they're playing the hits. They're
1: mm-hmm. out
0: there and saying, this is the last time we're probably going to do this. So we're going to go at about 75% speed, and we are going to enjoy the act of wrestling each other one last time. So it's this weird, very weird episode of wrestling programming um, of a, a promotion or a, a, a television property that is, is on its way out, and everyone knows it. And there's something very sad about it and something very beautiful about it. So I, I would I would recommend yeah. that
1: and that final match in Ric Flair is a that was the final match of the first episode mm-hmm. of right Nitro I mentioned at the Mall of America so yep. also a, a sort of uh, a rare sort of cyclical end that like you said you don't get in wrestling a lot so mm-hmm. yeah definitely definitely worth watching yeah you know, we usually see the WWE side. Yeah. of of that program but uh vince you know, mcmahon
0: doing his i hold wcw in my hands speech. right
1: but like all the stuff that came before that yeah was yeah lost awesome well uh now you know all those times we mentioned wcw <laughs> what the hell we were talking about there in case you didn't
0: there <laughs> are kids who will go to college next year not having been alive when wcw don't, was on the air
1: Oh, No, <laughs> they'll only know. Think WCW stands for Women Crush Wednesdays. Yep. The, the they're like, why are I these stand. guys
0: talking about it so much?
1: <laughs> Don't say that. I start teaching next week. Uh,
0: well, uh, this has been uh, this has been a marathon recording session for our uh, our oh, two part season premiere. But we oh. will uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks with a another episode a not wcw episode for the time being uh i am Stefan claypool you can find me on twitter at s-t-e-f-a-n-c-l-a-y-p-o-o-l uh and i
1: am Drew Zalitis. you can find me online at d-z-o-l-i-d-e-s that's twitter i should have <laughs> specified
0: yes on, on that place yeah. um yeah, so until uh until next time. Thank you for listening. And uh go uh go watch some wrestling.
1: Yeah,
0: WCW. Go yeah. watch WCW. Yeah. Honor them. Uh NWO. For life. In <laughs> <laughs> NWO. Uh, so I mean that's so cool.
1: It, it was really cool. Uh, it's it's so it's so of its time, but like that's it's hard to describe that analytically. Like, why was this so cool? Yeah.
0: It it was uh, it was it was what people in the nineties thought the two thousands were gonna look like.
1: Eh. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. It was
0: gonna like, look like hastily cut German expressionism.
1: <laughs> Before everyone had their black and white Instagram filters. Yeah. NWO started the. T- yeah, they were <laughs> the
0: original black and white.
1: <laughs> they got their own filters. Oh, oh man, yeah, it's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, yeah, yeah, that's so hard to talk about, but whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah, subscribe, cool man. No, no, and like you talk to people who haven't watched wrestling in 20 years, they'll be like, I remember it. <laughs>